Well, you have events like this week, and you know it raises a lot of questions with people, so we're going to try and help you out with some of those things. This is the third of the three stories that Jesus had given me as we're looking at the question, how do we pray for those who can't? He said that there were three areas what God can do for me is affected by. Those three areas were our words, our will, and our works. Our words, our will, and our works. Now we know that words are important and that they demonstrate faith and they give voice to what you believe. But you may be surprised to find out there is something more powerful than your words that work in your life. There is something that if you don't get a handle on this in your life, no matter what words you speak, you will not change a single thing that you speak to. It's in the Word. Once you see it, I think, oh yeah, that's, that is in there. But we don't always think of this as being the most powerful force that is in there. It's something that each one of us, it's different for each one of us. And no one else can affect this but me. This is something that, that I have to do, that we have to do. Mr. Keith is a great loss for all of us. But there's things we can learn from the Word. Now, in case you're wondering, I mentioned it to a couple of people, this is my Mr. Keith suit. This is mostly because this is, this, he picked it out. He picked it, he did everything with it. He just came in one Sunday and said, here. <laughs> So I decided to wear that one here today. Well, last week we were looking at that we need to, in speaking to a situation, we can't just speak words and change things. The words that we speak need to be bigger and have more substance than what we are speaking to. Not everyone will take the time for it. We used the example with Max over here with the pole, and Max couldn't knock the pole over, but it didn't mean the pole can't come down. Just because something didn't come down in your life doesn't mean that it can't. It just means that what you went up against it with wasn't sufficient. And sometimes we don't put substance behind our words, we just say them. Well, this is what the Word of God says. The Word of God says I'm healed, so I just say them. No, I believe it, but I haven't put the substance behind it. You have to spend some time and put some substance behind it. One of those movies Mother Keith loved and he introduced to, to some of us guys was that one with the college guy who was on the line and he was told in order to be able to play on the line you have to be over 300 pounds. And so he said, oh, I forget what the name of the movie was, but do uh, you remember what that was? What was it? No, it was not Rudy. Rudy, I know. This was, um, I hadn't uh, really known this one before. Before, uh, nope, no, it wasn't. Now this is only college. He never got, he never made it to the pros. It was just a college thing. They retired his number, they retired his locker, and they started a, a, a fund in his name that all these walk-ons, because he was a walk-on, he was not a uh, drafted college uh, student. He didn't come into college with a scholarship. He had to pay his own way to to get that going. Uh, it's a great story, it's a wonderful story, but one of the things the guys told him was, if you're not at least 300 pounds, you can't play. Well, it was kind of narrow in the focus, but he decided, all right, I've got to get over 300 pounds, so he got himself over 300 pounds, but it was not the kind of weight they had in mind. <laughs> but he had to have more substance. When he came into camp, he was kind of floppy. 
but he weighed over 300 pounds, and the coach was amazed that he was able to put that weight on, but uh, that's not the way we need you to put it on. We had to take the weight down and then build him back on up again. And by the time he was a senior in college, he had uh, uh, made the team, and he was a substantial force for the team and actually helped turn the team around the last year to make a run for the championship uh, in, in there. But if anybody ever thinks what that new movie was, but that was one of Mr. Keith's favorite. He, he liked that, and he introduced it to all that. But... What they're basically getting at is if you want to be on the line, you've got to have some substance to you. No one would draft me for the line. I don't have enough substance to me. You know, they would obliterate me. That wouldn't even be a, wouldn't even be a, a, a thought in the way to them getting into the backfield or <laughs> whatever place I was played on that. You have to have some substance. You've got to spend some time to get your words some substance. Now, if you want to see what that's like, if someone were to come up to you or if the devil were to sow a thought in your head and tell you there is no heaven, how would that go? Can you, can you formulate words in your mind, what you would say? And they would be pretty forceful because you have a lot of force behind it. Because you have a lot of belief. Because you spend a lot of time putting, putting thought into that, getting scriptures on that. No one's going to tell you there is no heaven. You, you know that. You've never seen heaven. You've never seen pictures of heaven. Most of us never even knew anybody who went to heaven. Maybe we heard testimonies of people we don't know. But we can't even tell you where heaven is. I heard one person tell me this way. He said, if you say heaven is up, there's someone on the other side of the world saying, point in the opposite direction. <laughs> we don't even know where heaven is. But we believe it's there. So you are thoroughly convinced on something that you have never seen, don't know anyone who's been there, don't know where exactly it is, but you know you're going. That's faith. But you see, you spend time to build that up. If anybody came against you, you would have words with substance, and you would knock that down. When you get your words with enough substance, same kind of substance as that, you'll knock things down. But there's something else that you need to have. You can't can't bypass this. In the uh, fifth chapter of John, we're really going to be looking at nine verses. There's more to this story, but this is the, the bulk of it. After this, there was a feast of the Jews, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. Now, there is in Jerusalem by the Sheep Gate a pool, which is called in Hebrew Bethesda, having five porches. In these lay a great multitude of sick people, blind, lame, paralyzed, waiting for the moving of the water. For an angel went down at a certain time into the pool and stirred up the water. And then whoever stepped in first after the stirring of the water was made well of whatever disease he had. Now a certain man was there who had an infirmity 38 years. That's a long time to have something. That's a long time to be believing that God is going to heal you. Of this condition. 38 years he had it. How long he'd been coming to the pool, it doesn't say, but I would say the bulk of that time probably was spent coming to the pool. When Jesus saw him lying there and knew that he had already been in that condition a long time, he said to him, Do you want to be made well? Do you want to be made well? Now, most of us would look at this situation and see the man laying there at the pool. The only purpose for being there at the pool was for waiting for the waters to get stirred up to get in the water and to get healed. 
That's his purpose for being there. Why would Jesus ask this question? Do you want to be made well? Do you? Very simple question. Now, we don't know that as in the, uh, the Chosen, like we, I mean, I mean, I like watching The Chosen. All right, yeah. They do a real nice job until they get the scripture. <laughs> They're really aggravating me, too. <laughs> I'm no longer excited about season number three. If it's there and I see it, great, but I'm not as excited because if you can't get Scripture right, you really irritate me. And they're get, they got the Scripture on this. They got it so wrong. I was, I was pretty irritated. The man with the withered hand was even worse, got me even more irritated. How do you get the details wrong? There's, it's right there. It's right there. But anyway... It doesn't seem from the passage that Jesus sought him out as is depicted in the chosen. It seems that he was there and he was drawn to him and knew that his condition was there for a long time. So I go with the way scripture said it. I don't care what the movies do. But long time conditions can change us. And it may not be a change for the better. Now, I wrote down a, a couple of things, a number of things here in mind. People informed me last week that I left out a whole section. I do apologize for that. Praying the Spirit, you'll get it. <laughs> now, if, if you want that, if you want that, the, PD, the PDF with it all filled out is up on, online. You can get that. If you can't get it that way, Miss Ethel has it over there. Uh, who, else, who else came to me and got it? Somebody else came over to me and, and got it after. I know Daryl did today, but I thought last week somebody else came. So you can always go up to them and, and get it and, um, and, and fill the rest of it in. I apologize for skipping over that whole section, but, you know, we're already past that. So, But long-time conditions can change us. You can write as much of this down as you want to. I wrote four things in here that it can change. First off, it changes your understanding. We understand in light of failure instead of revelation. When you face a long-time condition, you begin to understand, not in light of what the Word says, not in light of revelation you got from the Word, but you understand in light of your failure. Well, because this didn't work, it must be this way. Biggest case people come up with this is, well, I haven't been healed, so God must have a purpose for it. See, my understanding is not according to the Word. My understanding is because of my failure. And this is something that can happen. If you let your understanding come because of failure and not because of the word, you will go down the wrong direction because your belief will be based on a wrong understanding. Therefore, the words that you speak are powerless. There's no substance behind them. So first off, it will change is your understanding. Second, it changes your expectation. We expect based on what has occurred for us or others instead of what is promised. When you face a long-time condition, your expectation begins to be formulated by what has happened to you or what you have heard has happened to others. Maybe you've been believing God for a certain situation, believing God for one year, two years, or this guy 38 years, and then somebody comes along, oh, my Aunt Sue, she had that, and this is what happened to her, and my uncle, and my whatever, and pretty soon my, my expectation is formed because of what other people had happened in their life and what is happening in their mind. 
Third area is hope. We begin to hope for what we have seen instead of what we learn to believe. I only have hope for what I have seen go on. But the Word of God has a different definition of hope, biblical hope, and we leave that. Hope is the third area because we begin to hope for what we have seen and not for what we believe. Final area is faith. Instead of steadfastly standing, we waver on the promises of God. That's how we get. These are just four areas. You can probably find some more areas that are affected, but I give you these four. Now, when you think about this, this man is lame, right? He cannot walk. He needs help to walk. We know from the story he can't get from where he is to the pool fast enough because other people get in because he can't walk. If you've seen depictions of this, he's crawling with his arms. That's probably how he would try and get in there. He would show up for this to, for this to happen. But in order to get to the pool, he would have to have help, right? In order to get home from the pool, he'd have to have help, right? He'd have to have this. Now imagine the disappointment of this guy. He gets brought to the pool, and he's at some point. This is why you got to live these stories. You got to envision these stories. You got to put yourself into the lives of these people and see yourself living this to get the full thing of what's going on here. Envision yourself being the lame man. You have friends, you have relatives, you have somebody who is bringing you down each day and putting you here at the pool and then coming back and picking you up. What is a question that you could come up with? Why don't they stay? Why don't they stay? <laughs> Why, can, can, can you imagine him asking, can you stay with me and help me get in the pool? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well, no. You know, I can't. Maybe they did initially. Maybe they did. And they sat there and they stayed with him and nothing happened. Now before we go on on that, let me think, tell you about this. If you had a person who has suffered under the same condition and it's as debilitating as this man where he cannot walk, how joyful are they? How much fun are they to be around? <laughs> so imagine this. This guy gets picked up what do you think he's conversing about on the way to the pool? I can kind of picture some conversations. Thanks for picking me up here today, guys. I appreciate it. You take me down to the pool and all. I'm sure nothing's going to happen. Nothing ever happens. Even if the waters get stirred up, I know I can't make it in. I know you guys can't make it. He can't hang out. That's and then when he gets picked up, Nothing happened today. Well, the waters got stirred up, but Joe got there before me. He came out screaming that he was healed. Now, I, if you read anything on this, you know there are people who, who are questioning whether this was actually true, whether it was actually an angel, whether it was actually of God, all that sort of stuff. I just go with what's in the Word. The Word doesn't question it. It doesn't question it. It's just, here it is. So I have nothing to base this, on this to go with. So... If the word's going to say it, and it's in the word, I just take it, well, that's what it means. So I assume that this is true, and that God sends his angel down and stirs it up, because the Bible didn't say, well, people thought this. It said an angel came down and did it. 
So he may be picked up and yeah, Joe got in there before me. I mean, Joe, he just came down with that thing six months ago. I've had this for over 30 years. Why didn't God give it to me? And they would hear complaining going to and from for a, for a while. How many of you have had relatives, people that you're trying to help out, and all they do when you pick them up is complain? Complain, complain, complain. Oh, this isn't right. Oh, this isn't right. Oh, this isn't right. Oh, so much so they say, they complain one more time. I am not picking them up. I'm going to tell them today, too. I'm going to tell them. I'm going to tell them. It's kind of like that, uh, that uh, uh, coffee commercial. I don't know who's good coffee they're advertising. But the guy comes in. He's got Santa Claus out there by the pool. He's got Santa Claus out by the pool. And he says, I'm going to tell him. I'm going to tell him today. He's got to go. He's got to go. He's got to go. And Santa Claus comes on in, refills his coffee, and then goes back on out. And he's, he's say, Santa Claus. Santa's not leaving. <laughs> Santa's not leaving. You stay here. here. <laughs> I want to tell him, but I didn't. Sometimes we want to say something, but then we just keep putting him, well, you know, he's got all these things he's got to go through. I can endure, you know, his complaining and, and all this sort of stuff. So they continue to go on. I think at one point, though, if this has been going on for 38 years, I don't know how long these people have been picking him up. But it may have been for a while. I think they eventually got point, uh, past the point of no return. And they finally just stood to him and said, Look, either you stop complaining when we come and we pick you up and we come and we drop you off. Either you quit it right now or we're not picking you up anymore. <laughs> now, I envision this because I know that you've had people like this in your life. All right, I'll quit complaining. And they don't say the complaint with the words, but you can read it on their face. You can hear it in the things that they don't say. They start sentences and don't finish them because they realize that would be a complaint, but they let you finish it in your head. This is his, this is his life. As unhappy as he probably is, as unhappy as he's making other people, this is all he has to look forward to every single day. And he shows up at the pool because it's one bit of hope that he's got. If I can, if just someday, not a whole lot of people come down to the pool. And it just happens that this is the day that I can get in there. I'll be healed. He's hanging on to that one little bit of hope. Because he looks at himself, I don't have a whole lot. Do you want to be made well? You would think doesn't just showing up demonstrate his will? God, I'm here. Doesn't that show you that I desire this? I wonder if any of the other people questioned his will. I wonder if the other people who picked him up and put him down. I wonder if any of them questioned do you really want to be healed? I mean, it's been going on for a long time. Are you, are you just not doing some things? I don't know if anybody else questioned them, but Jesus did. You would think that a man this desperate would want to be made well at all costs, wouldn't you? Now, many times we are convinced 
a person's will is one thing, but we actually may be wrong. I may think their will is this, but we can be wrong. Now, have we ever gotten it wrong on God's will? Have you ever heard people in your life talk about, well, God must want this, and you're thinking, no, He does not. Mm-mm. No, He does not. They got mixed up on God's will, and He even wrote it in the Word. And people, they sometimes think, accuse you. Well, I think you just want... You say, what? Why would you think that I'd want that? If, the, if other people can mess up on your will and get an expectation that you don't want something that you want or you do want something that you don't want. What do you think is going on here? We can mask our will by our words. But there is one thing we cannot mask and it is a dead giveaway. There's one thing that you cannot cover up and it will always give you away. Jesus asked a question. It gets to the will of the man. He's getting at his will. What is the will of the man? That's Jesus' question. I'm getting to the heart of the matter here. What is the will of this man? I can know a person's words by listening. I can listen to people. I can be around people for a while. I can know their words by listening. I can know their beliefs by talking to them, having a conversation. You talk with a person long enough, what they believe will come out. But this area, this area, not so much. Because this is the area, this is the thing that is key. This is the thing that will give you away. Before I tell you what it is, I'm going to give you an example. How many of you have ever stated that your will is to lose weight? Don't raise your hand. How many have ever stated that your will is to eat healthy? Don't raise your hand. You've stated that as your will. And if that has been a stated will of yours, how many of you actually desired it? I want to lose weight. Weight. And you may have a, you know, five pounds, 15 pounds, you may have a goal that I want to lose this weight. You may envision yourself being 15 pounds lighter. You may say, I can see it. I can see it. 15 pounds lighter. I desire to lose 15 pounds. I want to lose 15 pounds. I go around and confess, I am going to lose 15 pounds. How many have ever done something like that and never, don't raise your hand. How many have ever done stuff like that and never lost a pound? In fact, you gained a couple. If the power is in the words, why didn't it change? If the power is just in the confession, why didn't it change? If it's what you really wanted, why didn't it change? Quite simple. Quite simple. Because I may want to lose 15 pounds, but I want to lose 15 pounds on my terms. Right? All right. 
I'll do what I need to do, but I don't want to work out more than 20 minutes a day. Did I say a day? More than 20 minutes every other day. Well, wait a minute. Let me visit that again. How about 20 minutes twice a week? I don't want to work out any more than 20 minutes twice a week. And then we go out there and we do the 20-minute workout. I'm feeling once a month is probably sufficient. And I'm willing to control, you know, not eat as many calories, but a couple of things are not on the table here. Chocolate. I will have some chocolate. Pizza. I'm not willing to give up pizza. Uh-uh, no, pizza at least once a week. Pizza. And ice cream. You gotta have some ice cream. I mean, I just need it. It's my comfort food. I'm working hard to lose the weight. Every once in a while, I need a scoop of ice cream. <laughs> so we have these things that, that go on. And so we put all these restrictions. You see, your words are powerful. Your words are right in line, but there's a problem your works. It's what you are willing to do. Because you may want what's over here, but I'm not willing to do the things that will get me there. You say, Pastor Steve, that's really easy for you to talk about. You don't have that weight problem. I weigh exactly the same as I did when I graduated from Rima. It has not changed at all. I weighed 155 when I graduated from Rima, and I weigh around 152, 155 now. That's up from college. In college, I was 145. Gained a little bit of weight outside of cross country. I haven't moved. Did get up to 160 for a little while. I was heavy. I took action. <laughs> now, you get into, you know, you, there are some things you can do that just kind of erase problems. It's not that the problems aren't there, it just kind of erases them. You know, long distance runners, and, you know, definition, it, it varies. Uh, we generally don't have weight issues. Now, you know, in order to get that, I don't know what the number is. But generally, if you're going to run 40 or more miles a week, you probably won't have a weight problem. I do more than that. There's a lot of things that come associated with it that, you know, it, it, doesn't, it doesn't jump out of people. I don't suffer ever from a lot of problems that people do. I mean, ever. It, maybe when I was little as a kid, but once I became a runner, there are some problems I do not have. I'll tell you one, constipation. I don't know what that's like. I hear people talk about it. I have no idea what it's like. None. If you want to have the, be free of, the, of any of that, you don't need pills. Just start running some miles. It will never affect you. Never. Headaches. I don't know what, they're, what, they, what they feel like. I don't know... 
Sometimes I've had one with a fever. But that's it. I, I don't get them. They, they just don't. There's a lot of th- high blood pressure. I think my father had high blood pressure. Um, I think there's some people in my family that have had high blood pressure. I'm not affected by it. It has never affected me. Every time I've gone in, had my blood pressure checked, right on the nose, right exactly where it's supposed to be. If you want the ideal blood pressure, I'm your guy. It's not low, it's not high, it's right there. My resting heart rate shocks people. I had nurses come in when I was in the hospital for an overnight stay, a couple overnights. They came in, they were ready to wake me up because my heart rate was too low. I was like 32, 34. That's my sleeping heart rate. I've had doctors check me out. They told me my heart is in the, my heart and lungs and oxygen processing is in the realm of a 20-year-old. I don't do anything for it. I just do what I like to do. Now, if you want to have all those benefits, just wake up with me in the morning. <laughs> and let's go. But you see, not everybody's willing to... I don't do that for those reasons. There's, there, I can keep going on. There's a lot of health benefits that come from running. None of them motivate me. None of them have any effect on me. I could care less. But they're, but they're there. But you see, if you want to have those things, sometimes you've got to do something that you don't like. Sometimes you have to do something that's unpleasant. And that's where a lot of people draw the line. I'm willing to believe God for this, but I'm not willing to give this up. I'm going to hang on to this. See, because my will might be, I want to lose 15 pounds, but I want something else more. I may want to lose 15 pounds, but I want pizza more. I may want to lose 15 pounds, but I want chocolate more. I want cake. I want carbohydrates. I feel bad for people who have to limit their carbohydrate intake. I really do. I feel terrible for you every time that I'm munching down on bread. <laughs> every single time I'm thinking, people can't do this. Man, that is a, I need to eat their bread. I need to just go out there and, and eat bread. You know, we go out to the restaurants, you know, they bring the, the basket of bread there. They don't know what they're doing. Because I can consume a table of four's bread before dinner is served. I don't always do it, but I can. You can. It just doesn't have that, uh, that much of an effect on me. I'll go run it out tomorrow. <laughs> so you can know a person's words by listening. I can know a person's beliefs by talking to them. But this area, I can only know what they are willing to do to get what they say they want. I've got to learn this area. I've got to learn what they are willing to do to get what they say they want. Do you ever hear that example? The guy who said he came up, he wanted knowledge, he wanted wisdom. He wanted, I want wisdom, I desire wisdom. And so the guy said, all right, come on. And so he came over here, he's going to sit down with the guy, and he said, come on with me in the pool. And they came in the pool, and the guy just was real relaxed. 
just closed his eyes. And so the other guy, you know, he wants the wisdom. He closes his eyes. He relaxes. And then the, the head guy, he takes him and he holds, pushes him under the water. And he holds him there. And he's flailing his arms. He's drowning them. And we're not talking 10 seconds. He's under there 30 seconds. 40, you get under the water, 40 seconds seems like an eternity. Holding him under there. A minute. He's still flailing his arms, trying to get out. Finally, the, the guy lets him up. What are you doing? You trying to kill me? He says, no. But when you want wisdom, as much as you want it air, you will find it. I remember that story years ago. Yeah. If you want something bad enough, you will find it. Do you want to be made well? See, I can hear a person's words. I can talk with them and find out their beliefs. But I don't know what they really want until I see what they're willing to do. That's when it gets exposed. Until I am willing to do whatever it takes, I don't really want it. Until I am willing to do whatever it takes, I don't really want it. I want other things more. There's many Christians that deceive themselves into thinking they want what God wants for their lives, but they're not willing to release. Or what, I'm sorry, what they are not willing to release tells a different story. Remember the rich young ruler? Tell me what I must do to be saved. He came with a desire. He wanted it. And so Jesus says, go sell everything you got. Give the money to the poor. Not that the poor was such a great thing to do. That wasn't good or bad. He's not saying whether it's good or bad. He's just saying, put it in a place where you can't go back and get it. Don't put it in the bank. Don't give it to friends. You can come back and call on them later on. Give it to people who will use it up and it will not be there for you anymore. Make it go away. Come follow me. He wasn't willing to do it. So a lot of people are, I want this, but I just want something else more. Verse 7, The sick man answered him, Sir, I have no man to put me into the pool when the water is stirred up, but while I am coming, another steps down before me. Now that would tell you, from this man's perspective, that water has been stirred up. He's seen it, and he's missed it. Sir, I have no man to put me into the pool when the water is stirred up, but while I am coming, another steps down before me. Now Jesus here has exposed, he exposes a few things. He exposes that the man is not focused on receiving healing, but on what he doesn't have. There's a whole lot of times, folks, we say we want something, but our focus is not on how we are to obtain it. Our focus is what I don't have. We become convinced that something that we don't have is the secret to getting 
what we want. Now, what does he have? As we talked about, he has some friends or relatives who bring him and pick him up every day. He's got that in his life. Apparently, he has a place to stay and food to eat that he doesn't provide for. He doesn't have a job. He has the ability to not go to work and to spend time at the pool waiting for the water to get stirred up. That's not something everybody has. Now, there are things that he has done with what he does have. They may not be the best uses of what he has, but he does have things to use. What if he had heard about Jesus and put what he has to work to pursue him instead of the pool? Just like the woman did last week. What if he had pursued something along those lines? Could he have known about Jesus? Why didn't he know about Jesus? Why is it that even after Jesus healed him, he I don't know who he was. Well, you know, there's a guy going around, he's doing, he's doing stuff like this, probably Jesus. He doesn't even have that. Why does he not hear anything about Jesus? Is it because he's hanging out at the pool all day? I don't mean that in a bad way. I mean, he's waiting for the water to get stirred up. Why does he not hear about Jesus? The woman heard about Jesus, heard about the miracles, devised a way to get the miracle she needed, and went after it. But he keeps going to the pool. The man used what he had to pursue a way for which he still lacked some needed things. Nothing will tell you more about how much a person wants something than if they keep pursuing the same thing that they say they want the same way, even though they will tell you, I lack this. Why do you keep going to the pool to get healed if your mind is telling you, I don't have what's needed to get me in the pool? Don't you think you ought to go another way? Check out a different way to go? Jesus' question is making a little more sense now, isn't it? Do you want to be made well? I heard one doctor tell me about the patients that they had. He says, not everybody wants to get well. Not everybody. Some people, they need to stay a certain bit of sick, a certain bit of decrepit, so they can keep getting the checks. If they stop being disabled, the money stops. Not everybody wants to do that. Because there's some people, they, uh, oh, that hurts. Stop. Yeah, but it's going to help you. I know, but it hurts. <laughs> Don't do that. He and I, we, we talk about it often. And so I, I tease him. I told you this story. I tease him. Having an off day today. Hardly hurts at all. I told him one time, I said, you ought to bring your A-game. So you didn't bring your A-game today. He goes, uh, what is that? <laughs> he didn't know what an A-game was. I said, that means bringing your best. He says, oh, okay. <laughs> so he tried to up his game a little bit. But I like to, I like to tease him. See, not everybody wants to, to, to get well. I want to get well as long as it doesn't hurt. I want to get well as long as I can eat these things. I want to get well as long as I don't have to. There's conditions because I want something else more. This man has to get to the point where he wants it more than anything else. 
I would think that one of the things you could do, there, there ought to have been a way. There ought to be a way. How can I get someone to stay here at the pool with me? What can I do? Well, first off, be nicer. All right, I can do that. That is within my ability to be nicer to people and to be a person that people want to get around. Um, maybe one of the things I could do is when they are there, have some fun things to tell them. You ever been around a good storyteller? Isn't it great? They, they like to tell stories, and they tell good stories. They, tell me a story. <laughs> me is fine. Tell me a story. <laughs> we, we want to have good stories. And if you have some good stories, if you have some good things to share, people will hang out. I mean, Jesus didn't have to pay anybody to hang out with him all day. They don't want him to leave. They don't even go and get food. There's things that you could do, but he didn't do it. He's probably some sour old puss. Somebody probably sat there by him, trying to help him out. Oh, man, this, I got to keep hearing this guy complain. Oh, I got to keep hearing this guy talk about this. Oh, I can't believe this. If this man would have used what he had to pursue a way to Jesus, what if he got these people, he said, look, instead of taking me to the pool every day, for how many years we've we been doing this? Take me to Jesus. Take me to Jesus. Take me to the meeting with Jesus. I've heard things are going on. We're not looking for just one person. I've heard that everyone in the meeting got healed. Take me to Jesus. That's a little bit further, but we probably won't ever have to do this again. I think they might, might get excited. I won't have to be living in your house rent-free. I'll be able to go out and get a job and give you some money for me staying there and eating your meals. Oh, this is good. Let's go get Jesus. When we're in a battle that's going on a long time, we become focused on what is promised to all but failed me. That's one thing. I wrote down about four things. You can probably find some other things too, but... When we are in a battle that has gone on a long time, we become focused on what is promised to all but failed me. You ever had anything like that? Other people are promises, but it's not coming to me. Because we were in a battle for a long time. What has worked, what, I'm sorry, what hasn't worked but ought to. Well, I hear other people talk about this and they say they do this and it works. It ought to work. It's not working for me. How about what I can't do but need but need done? I can't do it, but I need it done. I can't get into the pool fast enough, but I need it done. We focused on that. That's what this man was focused on. How about what others won't do but should? Surely no one here has ever had expectations of what other people ought to do and aren't doing it, right? You've never had conversations with your neighbors, relatives, friends. You never called up people on the phone, start talking to them, well, they should do this, right? As long as you are stuck in a place, as long as you are focusing on what you lack, what you don't have, what others won't do but should, what I can't do but need done. What hasn't worked but ought to or what is promised to all but has failed me. 
You get in that battle for a long time, you can become focused on these things. That's what this man is focused on. He knows exactly why I'm not healed. Because he says it right to Jesus. Well, I want to be healed, but here's my, here's my hindrance. Here's my problem. Is that what was keeping him from being healed? Well, you can just look at it this way. It's a real easy, real simple question to answer. Was the man healed without somebody to put him in the pool? The man was healed without anyone putting him in the pool. Therefore, that was not the reason. You've got things going on in your life that you think this is wrong, this is not right, this is not what was promised, other people ought to be doing this, we're thinking this way, and you're focused on what you lack. But that is not your problem. I wish everybody could have a grandfather like I had. He taught his kids, and my mom instructed us on this. My dad had a mentality this way, too. Um, you can kind of hear it in Brother Shambach. How many remember Brother Shambach? How many never heard of Brother Shambach? Anybody ever? Wow. Huh. Brother Shambach used to come on the road. Yeah. Or on radio. He was on the road, had a tent meeting going all around. He was actually the worship leader. Not everybody knows this, but he was the worship leader for A.A. Allen. He led worship in those meetings. He saw all those miracles that were going happening in the A.A. Allen meetings and he went on and one of the things would said, if you listen to his radio show, you know the thing that he said. You don't have any trouble. All you need is faith in God. Now people would hear him say that and get mad at him. <laughs> what do you mean? Of course I have trouble. But you see an angel, I believe, or some had some kind of supernatural visitation. And that's what was passed on to him. You don't have any, because he thought he had trouble. You don't have any trouble. All you need is faith in God. He held on to that word. I don't need what I think I need. I don't have any trouble. All I need is faith in God. Help you understand a little bit of his, his life. He's a good guy to read after. See some of the things that God had brought him through. R.W. Shambach. Kind of interesting that the guy he cut his teeth under was A.A. A. Allen. And he's R.W. Shamba. <laughs> Might have been a little bit of an influence there. What do you think? Put this in your outline for you. I think, I don't know if I gave this to you or not, but is our problem not having what we need or not using what we have properly? My grandfather would always teach us when we were over to his house, never look at what you don't have. Look at what you do. He always taught us that. This is the man who was crippled. He faced polio as a kid. He was dropped. He had ALS. ALS. I told you before, he is the only known survivor of ALS. My grandfather. Only known survivor of ALS. I don't know if anybody else has survived it since then, but they had diagnosed him, and then he kept on living. Not only that, he couldn't run, run, operate his crutches when he had the ALS, and he was on his crutches. As a teenage, teenager, we would climb ladders together, painting his house, tarring his roof, 
He would dig up his garden on crutches. He'd dig up his garden. Show me how he did it. He took an old, a big old oak tree down in his backyard. I do, I do not know how he did that. But he took a big old oak tree down in his backyard. He would carry, he would transport TVs from the ground floor to the second floor. These were not today's TVs. These were the big, the ones with the tubes, yeah. all that sort of stuff. He'd get them upstairs, fix them, and bring them back down. He would tell us things like, don't work against gravity. Let gravity work for you. And he'd show us ways, because he would look, look at us doing something. You know, we're young, we're strength. <laughs> <laughs> Just brute strength. He goes, don't do that. You wear yourself out. And so I've, I've always got those words in the back of my head. So to this, my wife, I drive her crazy. Why don't you ask me to help you with that? I'm, I'm just not wired that way. If I face something and I'm by myself, I figure out how to get it done. And I don't leave it until I get it done. That's what we do. That's what I was raised to do. That's just, you don't look at what you don't have. Oh, if I only had one of these. Yeah, but you don't. What do you have? Well, I got a two by four. <laughs> you start in your mind processing, how can I do this? You know, <laughs> I have done things where I'm uh, trying to get something up in the truck and there's nobody to help. I didn't have anybody. But I had to get this thing up in the truck. So I thought, oh, you know what? If I get two two-by-fours, I don't have a ramp, but if I get two two-by-fours and I lay them on out here and I get it on the bottom of the two-by-four, I can pick up both of those two-by-fours and kind of just move it in. It took me a little while. I got that sucker in. <laughs> got her in there. Yep. Stop looking at what you don't have. If you're always looking at what you don't have, you will be depressed. So that's one of the things. Runners are not affected by depression. Running does something to your body. It makes you almost immune to it. I don't know what it is. I don't care. I just know that, uh, that it does. So if you ever face depression, go run. It'll help you. <laughs> but you see, if you're always looking at what you need is not at your disposal. What you need, someone else has to provide. What you need is, is just not what you have. Then as soon as you face a problem, well, I don't have this. If I had this, that would be real easy. I don't have that. Well, you do have some stuff. And it stops you from utilizing what you've got. You don't, you don't put that to work. No, put to, put to work what you do have. God has given you some things. So, let's get back over here, verse 8. Jesus said to him, Rise, take up your bed, and walk. Now, for the man, what was impossible for him? Getting to the water first before anyone else did. That was impossible to him. What would have helped him accomplish that? Being able to rise up and walk. That would have helped. So if you're this guy and he says to you, rise, take up your bed and walk. If you're going to stay stuck in the same mentality, the same thinking, then you're going to look at what I don't have. Don't you understand? 
I can't get up. <laughs> and that would have been the end of it. No miracle. Probably wouldn't even been written in the book. In fact, I'll bet there's a few people that when we got to heaven, we'll find out they would have been in the book, but they didn't do what Jesus said. They didn't do it. Rise, take up your bed, and walk. But then verse 9 happens. And immediately, the man was made well, took up his bed, and walked. Now, look at the difference here. See the difference. Verse 8. What does Jesus say to do? Rise. Take up your bed. And walk. And immediately, the man was what? Made well. Took up his bed and walk. What's missing? Rise. Why did he, does he not rise? It's pretty simple. The man acted on what Jesus said. And when it says immediately, the man was made well. It's because he rose. You're not made well lying down on the ground. You're made well by rising up. And immediately the man was made well, took up his bed, and walked. Folks, he did, was not made well because he took up his bed. He was not made well because he walked. He was made well because when Jesus said, Rise, take up your bed, and walk, he didn't offer an excuse. He didn't say he couldn't. He did it. And at this point in his life, he wants to be healed more than the obstacles that are in his way. Rise, take up your bed and walk. And immediately the man was made well, took up his bed and walked. And that day was the Sabbath. So if you go home, you want to read the rest of the story, you find that all the people who instead of praising God, for this great miracle, decided to have a problem. And this man didn't even know who Jesus was. Couldn't even tell him. Couldn't even identify him. Now, has God ever asked something of you that you, are, you were not prepared to do? Has God ever said something to you, something came up in your spirit? And you were not prepared to do it? I had not made sufficient preparation. Well, God, you know, give me a little bit of time on that. <laughs> Let me think on that one for a little bit. You know what you're doing? You are considering if giving up the things that you want are worth doing what God said. Because he has a way of telling you to do something that gets you to let go of something that you want. Hmm. What are you going to do? Are you going to listen? Now, he's going to tell you all sorts of stuff. You've got to develop the pattern of listening when he speaks it. I told you some of the health issues that I've had in the, in the past. I don't know if I told you this one as much, but um, way back, uh, uh, quite, a, quite a while ago, I had a, a hernia and the guy diagnosed it. He said, actually, I have a, a problem on both sides, um, but really only one needs to be, needs to be fixed. Um, 
He said he does surgery. He does. I said if I was a person who could do the double, I would fix them both. I'm not. You can go to somebody else if you want, but uh, I can do the one. He says no, I really don't want to go to anybody else. Let's just do the one, and uh, like he said, maybe not, well, the other one will never be a problem. So we did the one. A couple years later, I was feeling something. I said, oh, I'll bet you that's that's this thing going on, and so I felt in my spirit, go back to that doctor. So I went back to that doctor. I went back there because there was another issue. There was a pain that no one could figure out. No one could figure out what this pain was. Everybody wanted to say it was your heart. And I said, it's not the heart. I know it's not the heart. But they all wanted, you know, that's what they're pursuing, checking it out. It's not the heart. They did all these checks. It's not your heart. I know. I told you that. <laughs> and we're doing stuff. So I went into this doctor and saw him. He says, well, you know, I can't figure out exactly what that, that pain is. I said, well, doc, it came up on the inside of me to get the other, the other hernia fixed. What do you think about that? He says, well, you know what? It's not a bad idea. So let's just get in there and fix it. And then um, it won't be, uh, at least we've eliminated that as a problem. You know, they're not real close to where they, they were in pain-wise, but sometimes pain can radiate out. And, you know, he was explaining this. So I said, all right, let's go ahead and do that. I didn't think it was really going to fix the problem, but I felt on the inside, go get it done. And so I, I did, and we, we pushed. This was in the, I, don't, I think it was somewhere in the fall, October, I'm thinking, somewhere in that neck of the woods is when I, I did this one. So I went in, and I got the procedure done, and, uh, you know, came back, and everything was done. Problem was still there. Uh, never was diagnosed as to what it was. It went away. We were good. <laughs> that was all that we needed. But what, I'll tell you that story for this. The next year is when Obamacare hit. And insurance companies changed everything. And if I would have had that same procedure done three or four months later than I did, it would have cost me thousands of dollars. But because I got it done, when God says, go get it fixed, I don't even know if it cost me a hundred. It was fixed. Now, there was no health benefit in, in, uh, in, in me doing that, but there was a financial one. So what if I, you know, if I had to take a, a couple thousand dollar hit, oh God, oh, I, I, you got to help me with this. And God's saying, I told you to get it fixed when it would have been free. <laughs> I didn't know that at the time, but I just listened. It was in my spirit to go get it done. So I went there and got it done and got it, uh, got it taken care of. You got to learn that when God says, do this, you go out there and you do it. You don't sit there and try and figure it all out. God says, get this checked out, you go get it checked out, like I did. Go get that, that yeah, the doctor said, yeah, we can, we can probably fix that now. It's gotten a little bit worse. It's not really bad, but yeah, we can, we can fix it now. So he went in there and they, they did that. I told you other things, things come up in my spirit, go get this checked out. I go get it checked out. You got to listen to those, those things that come up. He says in here, rise, take up your bed and walk. So the man just did it. He didn't really train himself too much on this, but he did it. Brother Hagin used to share this with us because the Lord told him when he's talking about finances on a verse of scripture that he would always quote to God. Your word says, if you are willing and obedient, you will eat the good of the lamb. Well, I'm willing and obedient, but I'm not eating the good of the lamb. We're barely making it. And God told him, you're obedient, but you're not willing. You're doing it, but you don't want to. You keep going back to that church you gave up. 
because he would bring that up in prayer. You know, back when I had that church, we had a parsonage, we had food, we had all these things. I don't have that now. <laughs> he says, you're, you're obedient, but you're not willing. And Brother Hagin would teach us, he says, don't think it takes long to get, get willing. I got down on my knees, I got willing in minutes. <laughs> and, and then things began to change and things began to turn. Well, there's a difference in doing something out of obligation, desperation, or imitation. But it will not yield the same thing as submission. You have to learn that submission. And when God says, do this, you just go out there and you do it. I had to learn if God says, don't run today. Yes, sir. I don't, I don't go there, but I want to. Well, hey, but if I just run? Hey, if I just cut down and only do half? See, I learned not to do that. God says, don't do this, and you don't do it. And you, and you quit. When you pray for people, their words will have more power in their life than your words. Their will may not always be spoken, but it will have more power than your will. And the works that they have done, you may not know about. But those works are in action, even though you don't know about them. Now, this man had always seen failure every time he came to the pool. Jesus gave him a way he had never seen failure for. He never attempted this, but he does it out of obedience. And it brings success with him. Very often we are, we are wanting God to respond to the action that I'm prepared to give. But he will respond to the obedience he is prepared to receive. Don't determine what it is you're willing to give. Remember Naaman. He was prepared to give offerings. He was prepared to do all sorts of things. But dip in a muddy river? That doesn't make any sense. God will move on our behalf when through obedience we open the door. We have obstructions from receiving from God. They are more often born of lack of obedience than a lack of faith. Some people, they look for God to respond to their action, but God may have given a command on which he awaits obedience. So, we said we wanted to hit this question last week. We'll hit it over here. It won't take us too long. Why do believers have such things come into their lives? Why do some bad things happen, some financial challenges, some health challenges? Why do these things come into their lives? Why is it that we don't just have a hedge about us and keep us from having these problems? I gave you five things. I'm going to tell you, say a whole lot more than you can fit in there, but you can write in what you want. I, I summarized each one in, in most of them two words, one of them one word. Here's the first one, imperfect world. 
We live in an imperfect world where the will of God is not done like the will of God is done in heaven. But God will guide you through every snare, every trap the enemy sets up, if you will listen and if you will yield. Disobedience will bring about another will manifesting. Remember the unknown prophet, unnamed prophet? When he got out of, of obedience and disobeyed, what happened to him? He died. Now, we know the story because it was written down, but if nobody else knew all that thing that went on. They just said, how did that prophet, he went on the mission from God. How did he die? I don't know. Make sure you listen. Imperfect world. There were people around that prophet trying to pull him off. He fell for it. There's a second one. Enemy attacks. Some are just attacks of the enemy. The storm. Remember the storm that came on the disciples? The furnace. The fiery furnace. The lion's den. These are just the attacks of the enemy trying to get you to compromise your faith. And God will deliver us from them if we trust and obey Him. Some of them can be enemy attacks. God didn't send it. God didn't commission it. The enemy sent it. But God will bring you the victory over it. You didn't do anything wrong to put yourself in that position. In fact, most of these people, they did something right, and that's why they're there. The disciples listened to Jesus. Let's go to the other side. That's why they were in the lake. There's a third one, the sign battles. These are battles that God asked us to engage in. David, Jeremiah, Elijah, they engaged in battles and they, they encountered some problems because they engaged those, those battles. Fourth, walking ignorantly. You can be walking ignorantly of the Word of God. You should have learned. You should have pursued it, but you didn't. This man could have pursued learning about Jesus, but he didn't. You go around walking ignorantly, you can be caught on the battlefield without the armor that you need. That's not God's fault. Here's the fifth one. Unprotected. We are in no man's land. Daring to go where God has not led us. The term no man's land comes from a couple of places. One, it came from trench warfare. And they came up with trench warfare. The area of no man's land was the area between the trenches. Don't go out there. There's no protection. If you went out there, more than likely you're going to die. The tennis term. You can be at the front of the net. You can be behind the back line. Anything in between, that's no man's land. Don't be there. If you are there, the opponent, if they're good, is going to hit the ball at your feet and you will not get it. Don't be there. When I was into tennis, that was preached to us over and over and still, somehow, you would end up in no man's land. Coach Shark yelling at you. What are you doing? Don't be in no man's land. You're not under attack from God, but you have moved to a place He cannot protect you. Pride often brings people here in attitude or location. I can get an attitude of pride or I can feel like I can go there. I can be in the right place but with the wrong attitude and vice versa. We can often get lost being a servant to God that we stop being a worshiper of God. 
Don't lose your identity of a child of God in your ministry for God. Remember Matthew 7.21? Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father in heaven. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name, cast out demons in your name, and done many wonders in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you, Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. You make sure that though you are a servant of God, you don't get lost in the service. You maintain the status of being a worshiper. Worship Him. Make sure you have time for that. When things happen that I don't understand, I don't let it move me off of what I do understand. Things like Mr. Keith passing away from this stroke, from baby Etta in the, uh, the NICU. We look at that and we say, well, it doesn't seem like that should happen. I still pray with what I know. I still pray with what I understand. There's still a whole lot I don't know. I'm still learning. I don't let what I don't know keep me from doing what I know. If God leads you in a truth and God's given you revelation of truth, you can bank on it. That truth, you can walk in. But the enemy wants you to get to interpret things that are going on in a different light. See, because this is going on, that must not be true, so don't walk in it. Sometimes you have to let go of what you don't understand or it will alter the understanding that you have. Now, tomorrow we have a video teaching coming out. Brother Hagen is teaching. I was looking for uh, one of Brother Hagen's teachings that, that encompassed a couple of stories, and this one has it on me. It's got stories. I, I expect a report. <laughs> it's got stories. It has, I was thinking, all right, well, I, I'd love to have Brother Hagen tell you this story, this story, and this story, and I have three of them in mind. And when I was listening to this one in particular, all three were on there. And some others. But have you ever heard the term pray through? Does anyone know where it is in the Word of God? <laughs> this can be a problem if we believe that something is true, but it's not in the Word. Should we do it? Now, I will tell you that the concept is in the Word. It is just not taught. Give you a case in point. We just went over the story with Lazarus. I know I'm, I'm getting passed over time. I keep trying to... I edit the sermon down. It's like, man, that was an hour and 20 minutes. What am I doing? <laughs> I need to cut this stuff out. It's going to be the same, same shape here today. I apologize for that. Where was I? Lazarus. How many of you know that the scripture tells us that Jesus often withdrew all night to pray? What do you pray about? Isn't it odd that it doesn't tell us? Now, I want you to go back in your head. We're not going to turn there. In your head, go back over to the uh, story of Lazarus. And I want you to think about this. When Jesus was in the place where the report came, 
that Lazarus was sick. He stayed there. I believe it says two more days. What did he do during those two days? I will tell you one thing that he did. He prayed. Now, before he leaves, remember what he says to his disciples? Lazarus is dead. But I go to raise him. How does he know that he's dead? And how does he know he's going to raise him? How does he know it? Because he prayed it through. He got the connection. How much time does Jesus spend praying when he's at Lazarus? None. Why? You don't need to. It's already done. So when you hear these stories that go on tomorrow, and if you can't get them from Facebook, I will text them to you. <laughs> Give me your number. Let me know. i got four people on the list. I'll add the fifth, sixth, whatever. If you, if you don't want to go on YouTube and get it, I will put you on the text list. You can get the link. It all hits the same time. Make sure it all hits at 11. It is already set up. 11 o'clock tomorrow, you folks that are on the text list, you're going to get a text from me. And I did not send it at 11 o'clock. <laughs> okay. It's already there. It's just waiting to go going out. But he's going to tell you a couple of stories in there. And one of them, he gets the answer before the event happens. Because he prayed through. I'm bringing all that up for this particular reason. As we were praying over these situations, we looked to connect. I looked to make that connection. And so since all these things, all, both of these situations happened on the same day, so I was getting up early. I was praying in the Spirit. Happened on Friday. I got up early on Saturday, praying in the Spirit. Got up, got up early on Sunday anyway. But prayed some in the Spirit for that. Monday, praying in the Spirit. A couple of hours before we get out there and, and start doing stuff. Going on down to the hospital or going doing different things. Tuesday, praying in the Spirit. Trying to make that connection. Tuesday, I made a connection with Baby Etta. Ah, that's it. There we go. And I took what came in my spirit, wrote it up in a text, because this, at this point, it was 6 a.m. in the morning when I got that. So it's 6 a.m. in the morning. I figure I've been up for a couple hours praying. I'm texting people. <laughs> so I texted them at 6. They were probably up anyway. So I texted text, uh, Alyssa, Nikolai, and my wife. Gave them exactly what I got. I didn't tell them how I got it. I just told him. Later on, I told him, oh, I didn't know it came to you that way. It came to me that way. But I'm not making a connection on Mr. Keith. My wife and I, we would talk. She would say, what are you getting when you pray? So I'm not getting anything. I'm not feeling like I'm connecting. I don't know what's going on. I, I can't seem to connect on this thing. She said, I'm in the same spot. I can't connect. Sitting in the room, a couple more days went on by. I'm talking to Vanessa. Vanessa, I can't make the connection on this. I don't know why. No, I didn't quit. I'd still get up early in the morning, praying the Spirit, going after that connection. I'm not making it. I don't know why. I'm not making it. Talk to my wife. I'm not getting a connection either. Not getting a connection. I don't know why we didn't get the connection. 
but there's something that's not there. Now, I don't think this, this one wasn't on there, but Brother Hagin would tell us a story that uh, uh, he couldn't make the connection. In fact, there was one relative he couldn't pray out of death, only one. And it bothered him. And one of the times he was up in heaven, Jesus was talking to him. His uh, sister came over. I think it was his sister. Uh, anyway, the, the woman that he was praying for came over. And she said, Kenneth, there was a reason. And that was it. And then Jesus said this to him. He said, I don't want you to ever visit that again in your thought life. Yes, sir. And he never did. If we make the connection, we'll fight through some things. I don't know all the things that are there. I I go after what I know. I know Brother Keith's words. They're good words. I know what he knew about the Word of God. I, I, I know a lot of things about Brother... I know his beliefs. We've talked... I know his beliefs. But I don't know everything. I don't know what it was. But I know I couldn't make the connection. Now, I'm not visiting it again. It's over. I don't like that it's over. I think we were cheated. I don't know why. But don't keep going back to it. I know what God has shown me to be true of His Word. I don't know everything about His Word yet. But I know there are certain things in His Word. I know this is true. I don't, I don't let it go. I don't care what happens. I don't care if, if you hear that on the same day, brother so-and-so, sister so-and-so, prophet so-and-so, preacher so-and-so, all died on the same day. Don't ever question well, they used to preach that. It didn't happen for them. Don't go there. Just don't do it. I don't do it. Once I get past the spot, I say, well, God, you know more about what's going on there than I do. I don't know all the things that are going on. So we just move on to some other stuff. And that's what we, we do. So I don't have all those answers, but I do know that throughout the whole process. <laughs> Vanessa will tell you, I, was, I sat her down. I said, I, I'm not making the connection on this one. Didn't make it on baby yet. But he wasn't making it on this. We expect, my wife and I, we expect when we're standing there praying on something, we, we connect. The Word of God says that we contend together. We take hold together. Holy Spirit comes together with us. There needs to be that coming together. There's a story Brother Hagin used to, he explained that one time. He said, Holy Spirit, not taking, not taking hold of this with me. And they had a little discussion on that. That story, I don't believe is on this, uh, this one, but maybe I'll find that one for you. But if you can... Go on out there and listen to it. It is an hour and a half, but the, half, the last half hour is mostly just praying in the Spirit and uh, a little prayer meeting they had going on there. It's the first hour is, uh, is you got that. So if you want to listen to that, you can. At the very end, Brother Marty comes on. <laughs> if you want to listen to that, it comes from the year, I think, 2000. The year 2000 is when he was, he was not at Rainbow. He was at some other spot when he, when he did this. But all those, those particular stories are there. You can get the, the benefit from that of... Uh, of praying through or making that connection. And uh, that's, that's where it is. There are other places in the Word of God I could tell you where this is, but, you know, we're way past uh, uh, time on here. I don't want you to be going on this too much, but would you all stand up with me?
Glory to God. Well, Father, we know that the Word of God says that the secret things belong to the Lord, and some people hide behind that. There are some things that we can know and some things that we just, it's none of our business. And so, I don't know all the things that, uh, that have gone on on this. If you reveal things to us on stuff that we're praying about, then we know. We can, we can act on it. But if we don't, because there's only so much we can do, we have to be able to, to let it go. I know that when we're praying for things, you will reveal stuff to us. You will tell us things. And that's that connection. We desire it. You desire it. But there are sometimes things are going on that we don't know. But we trust you and we love you. We're not going to compromise what we do know because of what we don't. Give you the praise and the glory for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. One of the stories you will hear tomorrow is a situation that I believe went on with his brother. I think it was his brother. And he um, was not there when it happened, but he saw it. When his brother came, when he, when he came into the same town, his brother was trying, trying to tell him, you'll never guess what happened. And he told him what happened. Oh, mom must have told you. No, we haven't even seen her yet. It's a neat story, but this can happen sometimes. I heard a story from another preacher who told of a, um, her son was on a submarine. And for some reason, this submarine lost power and sank. It's at the bottom of the ocean. No one on the submarine was a believer. The captain called them all together and says, our, our situation is desperate. We, um, we stay down here, we're going to die. No one knows we're here. No one's coming to get us. Does anybody know God? And no one on the crew knew God. So one person raised their hand and says, look, I don't know God, but my mom does. That's <laughs> glad I was remembering this story. My mom does. How about if we all get together in the best way we know how and ask God to get to her to pray for us? <laughs> so that's what they did. They all got together to ask God to get to her to pray for them. And this mom was woke up in the middle of the night with an urgency to pray. She said she saw the submarine at the bottom of the ocean. And she prayed. Sometime later, her son came home, came to the house. Mom, you'll never guess what happened to us. We almost died. She said, let me tell you what happened. The submarine sank. You were all on the bottom of the ocean. And for some mysterious reason that you all could never figure out, the submarine surfaced. It's exactly what happened. How did you know that? That's the connection. You don't always get that because you don't always know what's going on on the other side. You don't always know the words. There's a story in there that, if you, if you listen to this, there's a story in there 
where God, or he says, there's a story. They have set spiritual laws in motion and they cannot be stopped. Let you listen to the rest of it. I hope you take time to do it and help out with some of those, those questions that you got. You come out at 11 o'clock tomorrow on Facebook and 11 o'clock in your text messages. If you want me to add your, your number to it, I'd be more than happy to. But um, it's, a, it's a good one. It took me a little while to find it. But uh, this is the one that you're, you want to listen to or help out with that. Have a great rest of the week. What else is going on that we need to tell you about? Wednesday, we're back on to our, our regular...